0: Welcome to the Anchor Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help you grow in your walk with the Lord by an in-depth study of the Word of God. So grab your Bible and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with today's message. We need to now return and we're going to finish off Genesis uh, chapter 11 and we're in the heart of the Tower of Babel. We had taken a break for Christmas and did a, kind of a New Year's thing with Ecclesiastes and so we're going to be back in Genesis chapter 11. After I finish Genesis chapter 11, then we're going to jump into Exodus and study the Exodus with Moses and Egypt and all that transpired through that with the children of Israel through the wilderness and It'll be very exciting to look at that, and there's a lot of deep, deep things that are involved in that, and so we'll do that after we finish this. But since we're on the Tower of Babel, it takes a while to drill down on this because it is so, so foundational because it points to the future, and really, we're in the future now. It's pointing to us, and that's what, kind of why I entitled it, The Future Predicted in the Past Has Now Become the Present. So we're here. We're, we're living it. And what you're going to see as we look at this is that you're going to see things that, hey, that sounds very familiar. And, yeah, it's because what they're saying today is the same stuff that happened in Genesis chapter 11. Globalism, one world government, one world religion, one world economy, because that's how it was back then. And so this past event points forward. And so there's a lot of parallels right now with our times as we're heading to the last days. So we're going to look at the past, but we're also look at the present as well and make the application. Understand as we look at this, I have to put ourselves in that framework of understanding something global. I'm going to make application, no doubt about that. But this kind of passage causes us to think outside the box, to think beyond our lives, to think of what's going on globally around the world. And what God's doing. So it challenges in that to understand the signs of the times. Verses one through three, we already covered. And so we're going to do a little, a little bit of backtrack. Just read it real quick. But if you want to get the full sermon on that, we did that back in, I think, December. And you can pick up what I said about one through three because I talked a lot about uh, the land of Shinar and I talked about the bricks and I talked about what they symbolize and what they meant as far as the asphalt and mortar. And I, I don't want to belabor that uh today because I don't have time. But let's read, just to recap a little bit, we'll start in Genesis 11, 1, and just recap a little bit to get our context. It says, now the whole earth had one language and one speech. And we talked about that and how we're moving towards this universal language that now, that doesn't matter what country you're from now, Everyone speaks a universal language. The universal language is English. Economies are driven on English, airports, different things like that. And so we went to that one language. They have translators now. Everyone can understand each other. So we're there. Verse 2, And it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, away from God, away from the garden area, you know, uh, where the promised land was, they went and, and they found a plain in the land of Shinar, And they dwelt there. The land of Shinar is where Canaan settled. But the land of Shinar is where Babylon came about. And this was the Fertile Crescent area between the Tigris and the Euphrates. We have some maps here. This is the land right there. It's basically modern-day Iraq if you see it on a map. Well, Babylonia is right there. Now, what is predicted, as we know from Jeremiah 50, 51, Revelation 17 and 18, and Isaiah 13 and 14, Babylon will be rebuilt one day. This will be the headquarters of the Antichrist. So what you're seeing here is the first headquarters of the first type of Antichrist, which will be Nimrod, that you'll see in the text. Nimrod is an Antichrist type, just like Pharaoh is, just like Haman is, just like Antiochus Epiphanes is in the book of Daniel. These are Antichrist types that point to a future Antichrist, okay? And this is where this system, which is a three-legged stool system, came from. It includes economics, it includes politics, world governments, or civil authorities or whatnot, and it includes religion, false religion. And so all three are encapsulated here under Nimrod's control. And so what you're looking at is one day you will see the world center move back to Iraq. Already in the talks of the UN, they already want to build in Iraq. They want to move the headquarters over there. Obviously, it's oceans of oil. It's controlling a lot of the economies, and it totally makes sense, and that's that they would move that to this barren wasteland of Iraq. But as the Bible predicts, where it began is where it goes back to because that's where God will end it. He will destroy Babylon at that point in time. So here's what you have to understand. Even though Babylon is not locatable right now, The spirit of Babylon, the harlot, the whore, is at work. She is driving the world to that point. And then, you know, obviously in the tribulation, she'll be in full force. Eventually, the Antichrist takes over, and he governs the whole thing. But this is where it all came from, and this is where it's going back. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone and they had asphalt for mortar. And again, I talked about this the last time, and I'm not going to belabor it, but these are symbolic. They used real brick for stone, and there's a difference between stone and brick. And I went through all that to encapsulate what I tried to say is this. It symbolizes man's attempt to build his own salvation, to unite with one another, as human beings in a brick form and not in a living stone form. And what I mean by that is human beings under the Babylonian system are just considered bricks. They're just useful, but they don't have any intrinsic value. They're just another brick. So if you break a brick or you lose a brick, we don't care. Toss the brick aside, we'll replace it with another brick. In God's economy, every human being is a living stone, so to speak, that fits and shapes itself into the wall. It has its own unique value whereas a brick doesn't have any value. And so in the Babylonian system, and as you can see in contemporary society, the way, like, for instance, communist China views people is just another brick. They don't care if uh, thousands of people die of the coronavirus. They could care less. In fact, they would love it that more people would die, right? That's how the globalists think. They would like to eliminate humanity, right? They want to get it down to a certain level, so they don't care if plagues kill people or whatever, because they're just another brick. And that's how the Babylonian system sees human beings as just useful, and when it's not useful, they discard them. So just like you can even drill down and understand abortion and soft euthanasia at that level as well. When you can't contribute to society, they'll kill you. If you're too old to contribute to society, they'll kill you. If you're too young, like a baby, and yet you can't contribute to society, we kill you. You're of no value. You're only of value if you're a good worker bee, and you produce, and you pay your high taxes. That's how the Babylonian system is. Okay, so that we, I talked about that, but I'm not going to go at length into that. So now we start in verse 4, and this is where we're going to start parsing out the Scripture a little bit more. And they said, come, let us. This is the second time they've done this. Come, let us, okay? It's trying to copy what the Trinity did, okay? When you see, let us it's a counterfeit to when God says, come, let us go down and confuse their languages. It's the Trinity talking among themselves. And so you'll see this language, but it's used by humans. They're trying to get together and do this and build ourselves a city. And then, well, what's wrong with all of this? Well, what the Bible is trying to say is this is evil, what they're trying to do. It's in the context of an evil motivation. Let me parse it out a little bit. This idea of let us is we're going to do this all together as one. We need to unify in order to do this. And one of the things you're seeing now, the mantra in modern-day society is we need to be unified. We don't need to be divided. And you have this collectivism. You have this consensus building. You have this 51% mob rule. Have you heard of these politicians, we want a democracy? Do you understand America is not a democracy? America is a constitutional republic. And they won't use those words. You know why? Why do they want to get rid of the electoral college? Why? So that L.A. and New York and San Francisco can outvote the rural areas? Of course they would. Because they want mob rule. Democracy is not what our founders wanted. They wanted a constitutional republic because they were afraid of mob rule, as you and I would be. You don't want mob rule, 51%, because the mob is easily swayed. And how are they swayed? By money. Give them free stuff, they'll vote for you. That's how it works. And yet, they're pushing, well, we just want democracy. We just, no, 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 no. We want a constitutional republic. And nonetheless, it's just, you'll see this in schools. Well, we need to get up in a group and do a consensus building. We need to have unity. Group think is being pushed on kids. We want a new world order. And you think, 20 years ago when I used to say this, no one believed anything we said. But now they come out and say it themselves. This is what they want. They can't stand America because we're standing in the way of globalism. They can't stand Trump. Do you know why? It's not because of his his antics and his tweets. It's not because of that. He stands in the way of globalism. That's why they want him out. You have to see the bigger picture on all of this. Man, if someone else is going to get in there, they are all globalists. All the whole democratic platform are nothing but globalists. And so we have this reprieve temporarily, but I don't know how long it lasts, folks, because I know what's predicted, and so do you. We are heading towards globalism. And if the rapture doesn't happen anytime soon, you are going to see the very beginnings of the global government that's predicted by daniel and john but this is why everyone is doing this so you and i we want individualism we want people to work hard we want people to follow the laws we want people to not be dependent on the government we want people to do what america's values were but that's not they're not buying it anymore. We have people in America who hate our country for the Judeo-Christian values we have. I don't want to say, if you don't like it, get out. If you don't like how our Judeo-Christian values are, why do you stay? Because they want to take over. That's why. And unfortunately, there's nothing stopping them, really. They seem to be on a march. They don't take a timeout. They don't take a nap. They're on the move. And what Obama said one time is that they're fundamentally transformed. They are. They are because it's predicted. It's predicted that this would happen. They want to build a city for what? No, anything wrong with building the city? No, but in the Bible, in this context, what it's trying to say is they're building a city for a certain motive under Nimrod. And what the motive is is to get people clumped up together in an area of containment so that you can control them. See, to control people, you have to put them together. You have to put them boxed in. You have to put walls. And cities are the best place to control people. You can control what comes into that city, what comes out. Food, markets, everything is controlled by a city. When you have a sprawl of rural living and people are spread out, they're harder to control. So this is why even in modern day times, they're pushing people towards being in cities. Even in California, you can see this. Some of our laws in California are pushing people out of the land into more urban areas. Some of these, these areas in California, they have taken away from people. Because they want to get, they'll say, well, this is going to go to the federal government or this is going to the state of California and you can't do anything on your land. And so they're pushing people towards urbanism. And that's Babylonianism. Because our greatest time in American history is when we were in the pioneer days and we're spreading out and Christianity was alive and well and we were having the first and second great awakenings here in, in America. And the minute you got clumped up in the cities, that's where evil starts. Look at L.A. Would you like to live in L.A.? Would you like to live in San Francisco, New York, all these major metropolitan areas? How about Chicago? How about Detroit? These are murderous places, lawlessness, crime. Every city's always been like that. And so this is what their idea is. Get them in the cities, control them, and get them out of the rural area where we can't control them. This goes down even to the point of controlling the weapons of the city. Because in most areas, if you're in a city throughout history, they would take away the arms of the people in the cities because they will will protect you. We will be the ones who protect you. We'll have walls. We'll have soldiers everywhere. You'll be protected in our city. But they disarmed them. That should resonate with us today today. The first thing the whore of Babylon is trying to do is she's got to put people in cities and she's got to disarm them so they can't fight back. And that's what you see throughout history. It just keeps repeating itself. And notice this. So there's, there's the political aspect. There's the economic aspect. And this idea in a city is all the economics flowing in and out of that. You can control the economics. You can't control someone out in a farm who's doing bartering, right? You can't control that. They don't want that. So now what is today happening? A return to Babylon, and they're controlling the economic system. How are they doing that? They're doing it electronically, which is predicted by Revelation 13. What do you mean? The digitalizing of the currency is where this is going. You will not one day have cash in your wallet. You won't even have cards anymore, credit cards or debit cards. They won't need that anymore. We'll just swipe your hand. And it's moving towards that. And people say, oh, isn't that great? Because we'll eliminate under-the-table deals. We'll eliminate crime. We'll eliminate drug trafficking. We'll eliminate all these bad crimes. But the minute you buy into that is the minute they control your bank account. And they can control you by the touch of a button. If they wanted to wipe you out, they could. And when you have digitalized currency, it's the ultimate control, and we're heading to that. So that's the city part, but remember, it's a three-legged stool. It's economics, it's politics to control the people, and then there's a religious aspect as well that becomes the glue that holds it all together. Okay? And then, so they said, come let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let's explain that. A tower, that's probably a misnomer because mo- most people think of this long spiral tower, you know, a medieval tower that goes real tall and it's real skinny. That's not what this is. It's a ziggurat. So Sam, show them a ziggurat real quick. There you go. This is a ziggurat. This is what they built. It's a ziggurat. And the idea is, and, and, and let me explain this. A ziggurat is a counterfeit mountain, okay? It's a counterfeit mountain. Now, tell me why they would build a building that looks like a mountain. Because that's odd, isn't it? Let's just look at a mountain. In the Scriptures, it says that heaven, or where heaven is, is on a high mountain. Did you know that? Let me show you a couple of texts, Ezekiel 28, 14 through 16, 14 and 16. Well, let me read it for you, and you'll see it. Ezekiel 28 says this, You were on the holy mountain, talking about the fall of Satan. You were on what? The holy mountain. By the abundance of your trade, you became filled with the violence within, and you sinned, talking about Satan. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing, Where? out of the mountain of god. Did you catch that? Two times it mentions the mountain of god. Let me read Revelation 21:10 talking about the new Jerusalem. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city the holy Jerusalem descending out of heaven from god. So in your mind when you think about heaven, heaven is situated on a great mountain in the heavenly realm, or we call the third abode. In the third abode, there, there is this giant mountain, and on top of it is where God dwells on the top of a mountain. That should signal to you about pagan cultures of why they try to build buildings that look like mountains. Now, the interesting thing about this is you can see, like, even in the Greek myths, where do all the Greek gods live? Mount Olympus, right? You studied that in high school. See, there's an element of truth in some of these myths. They're corrupted, but there's an element of truth. When you and I ever get to heaven, whether it's the rapture or through death, you're going to see the mountain of God. It's where he's at. It's it's where heaven's at. It's on the top is where God dwells. He has his throne on the top. The tabernacle is there or the temple. The New Jerusalem's on the top. It's on the top of a great mountain. Now, that totally makes sense that why they would then try to counterfeit the mountain and why every ancient culture does this. It is all over the world, ziggurats. So let's go through this. This is ancient Mesopotamia. This is what they kind of looked like, uh, ziggurats, uh, when you look at archaeological remains. This is the one by Ur, I think it is. It's huge. It's massive. But this is a classical ziggurat out of the Babylonian region. There it is from above. You can see how it's constructed. It's a huge mountain, basically, looking thing. There it is from above. And Sam, just keep rolling through these real quick. There's more evidence of there in, in Iraq. Look how big it, that thing would have been. This is in, stop right there. This is in other parts of the world. These are in Asia, these types of ziggurats. This one... um, I think that one's in somewhere in Asia. I can't remember exactly where. And then obviously just keep rolling through. Uh, these are in China. China has them. China will have them in the. Either, see them in the background, that top picture. Those little mounds are all pyramids. They're ziggurats everywhere in China. This is in Tibet. You look at the look at the mountain shape. This is I think in Tibet as well. I think this is Mexico or Central America, Aztecs, Mayans. And obviously, you know these, right, the pyramids. Uh, this is, I think, Aztec, Mayan. And this is in, I think, the Gobi Desert in, the, in those areas right there. They have them as well. With that being said, you can see there's a common trait going on here. They're copying the mountain of God. Okay? You're like, well, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? Uh, it's a mountain. Okay, I got it. No. It's for what goes on on that mountain is the key to understanding what's happening here. And it's the key to understanding what's currently going on right now. Okay? First of all, why build a ziggurat as a counterfeit to the mountain of God? First of all, it was to worship fallen angels on the top of these places. See, they got the idea that you worship God on top of a mountain, which also probably, probably, and it's a theory, that the Garden of Eden was on top of a mountain as well, that you had to ascend up there to God, because the mountain is always associated with God. That's why the Temple Mount is on a mountain. It's in Jerusalem, but it's on a 3,000-foot elevation, right? It's higher than the rest of the place. It's always higher. It's a high mountain. And so the idea then is they copied that, but... If you went to the Garden of Eden and you went to the garden to worship Yahweh after the fall, you would have had to go there, ascend up, go to the, burnt, uh, the altar of burnt, uh, where you did your offerings, and there is where you would meet God. There is where you would intersect between the physical realm and the spiritual realm in order to worship Yahweh. And you would see two cherubs that uh, guarded the area, God would be there, and they did see him. They saw his Shekinah glory, okay, in the garden temple. And that's how it was. That's why, like Cain and Abel, when you see the context, they're talking with God. They're interfacing with him. And that's how it was in the ancient world. They interfaced with God there. And so it was a, if you want to say, a bridge between our natural realm and the spiritual realm. So they then took this information about what they had learned with God, the real thing, and took it and counterfeited it with the help of the demonic. And so they built these structures as a, uh, to use them on the top as a portal, a portal between our world and the spiritual realm. Now they saw fallen angels as lesser gods, little g, and that's what they made them into. But they didn't know they existed, and they did interface with them. And because of that, that became the meeting place between man and the gods. This happened in all over the world after even the Babylonian, uh, uh, you know, uh, sorry, not Babylon, after uh, the, the scattering with the languages happened, they took it all over the world. Aztecs, Mayans, whatever, this is where they met with the gods, is on the tops of these places. This is where they would interface. And, and, and I want you to, to think about this. They're doing this, and it they are really getting in touch with the demonic and fallen angel realm. This is where it's happening. And, 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 and this spiritual gateway was called the gate of God. And that's another, the other term for Babel is gate of God. And that is where they got in touch with the demons and, and fallen angels. Okay, so what's the big deal with that? Well, the problem with it, as you can probably suspect, is if you're getting in touch with the fallen angels and Satan himself in this realm, where do you think he's going to take you? He's going to take you and the rest of humanity in full rebellion against God. And he's going to give you information to make you more advanced, to give you ideas of how to create this rebellion, and is going to lead you in how to lead this rebellion, and going to tell you what to do in order to get this rebellion going. And sure enough, Nimrod, who is the leader, had access somehow to Satan's power, and they were able to do amazing things. So we would use the term portal, portal, uh, transference point, uh, Stargate, sp- whatever you want a term you want to use to get into that realm. Now here's the question. Is this being used today? Of course. Of course it's being used today. Now they don't go on top of a, a counterfeit mountain and do this, but Satan has provided ways in which human beings can get in contact with that spiritual realm. And it's being pushed. On people. The gateways that include, obviously, and I'm just gonna go through a list, and you probably have heard them. Obviously, occult rituals. Anyone that does an occult ritual puts themselves in contact with that realm. Ouija boards will put you in contact with that realm. Remember, I think Jan was here and she said they made a 9,000 pound Ouija board. Did you hear about that? Covers 30, uh, 3,168 square feet. Wow. Tarot card readings. You know that there's Christian tarot cards now. Yeah, it's they're they're playing games. Bethel's the one introducing that. Seances, obviously, you know, trying to communicate with the dead. They're not going to get in contact with the dead. They're going to get in contact with these creatures. Yoga, yoga clears your mind, and a lot of times, uh, not every time, but sometimes people get in touch with that realm. They hear voices. They hear different things because that's the intention of yoga is to yoke yourself with that Hindu god. I mean, most of you are not aware of that. It's dangerous. Pornography, sexual sin, perversion gets you in there. Can, not all the time, but again, it can. It's the gateway. Drugs, alcohol, mind-altering devices obviously can put you there. Not all the time, but it can and it does. False religions can put you there. Psychic readings, astrology, fortune tellers, uh, out-of-body experiences can put you there. Astral projections, allowing them basically the entrance into you. Transcendental meditation. Do you know in these school systems, they're teaching these teachers to teach the kids transcendental meditation, to calm them down before a test, to blank out their minds? You know what they're doing? They're opening the kids up to the occult. I would be shocked if some kids don't get demon harassed or whatever. You can't do things like that because it does open those doors to you. And right now, I mean, think about this. Our culture is pushing portals on kids. What do you mean? Well, look at the latest book that came out that's being celebrated. Have you seen this book? Children's Book of Demons. Oh, yeah, little toddler over there. He's having a good old time. You know what the book's telling him to do? How to conjure demons. The book is sold by all these major book retailers and telling kids, oh, you know what, this, they're, this is a way that you can have some fun in contacting demons, and you've got to be careful. Some are, some are real playful. Some are real mean. You've got to be real careful. What? We don't talk about that. We don't get involved in that. But yet they're pushing this book on children. And now even the latest Walt Disney cartoon that they've launched called The Owl House is grooming kids to accept witchcraft and demonology to help fight evil. Huh? A Kingdom is not divided against itself. How do I conjure up a demon to fight evil? That doesn't even make sense. But this is what they're pushing, that the demonic realm or the the spiritual realm is okay, and they need to get in touch with this, and they need to tap in. Well, all I can tell you what you're going to get is a bunch of demon-possessed people from this and a bunch of harassed people that will literally go crazy after a while. This is what was happening in Babylon. This is what was being allowed on that portal that was opening to them. Don't you think For the demons and the fallen angels won't take full advantage of that. They will, and they're doing that right now. What are the implications in all this? As you saw, you know, there's this religious aspect. It's pretty scary. But this is the point where it all starts. This is the origin of it. And this is why in the book of Revelation 17.5, it says that this is the mother of prostitutes. Watch this. The name written on her forehead, talking about the whore of Babylon, this is the religious aspect of Babylon, was a mystery. Babylon the Great is where it came from, right? The mother of prostitutes, the idea of religious prostitution, and the abominations of the earth. So this is where it all starts. Spiritual adultery started here. This was the first satanically inspired man-made religion was from the Tower of Babel. And it's still with us today. Her calling card, as she tempts people into her, is, look, I'll give you pleasure without consequences. That's what she promises. She gives you spirituality without obedience. She gives you your way of making up salvation, of working for it. She gives you everything you want, but you're going to do a deal with the devil. She'll let you do anything you want, live any way you want, practice anything you want, as long as you obey her and give to her. And this whore of Babylon is in our culture, if you're not picking up on it. Obviously, it's false religions, but it's the mindset. What's the mindset today? Anything goes. Long as love is there, anything goes. And if you and I come and we criticize the whore, we criticize the prostitute, you and I are called heretics, uh, uh, divisive, and mean-spirited, and we hate everybody. No, that's the whore. And she doesn't like to be criticized. She doesn't like to be talked about. And her followers don't like it either. Now, behind all of this was Nimrod. I'm going to talk a little bit about Nimrod. He's the one that was getting the information from Satan. He is an antichrist type of individual. He was the first antichrist type so if you want to look at how the Antichrist will be, you look no further than what Nimrod was doing. He was controlled by Satan. Nimrod, as we looked later uh, before this, was a gibbereen. He was a mighty man. What that means with gibbereen is that he was a Nephilim. According to Genesis 6, the Nephilim that, that came from an unho- unholy union between fallen angels and human women that created Nephilim, or Gibberine, or mighty men of renown, okay? He is depicted in a lot of reliefs as being, you know, obviously an animal slayer, went after exotic animals to kill them, but he's also depicted as a giant as well. Notice he's holding the lion. I think I've showed you this before. This is a picture of him holding the lion. Look at the size of the lion compared to him, and so... He's depicted all over Babylon like this. But the idea was, is that Nimrod was a Nephilim, which means he was a giant like Goliath. And that's what happened to a lot of the genetics when that, that, that happened between a fallen angel and, and a human woman. It created giants, created giganticism or whatever. But these were, these were evil. So Nimrod's not fully human. Okay. And that's, that's how evil he is. And here's, here's how it went down. Tradition holds that Nimrod had a wife by the name of Semiramis. And him and his wife became the gods of Babylon. Okay. He became God on earth. Just like you see with the pharaohs in Egypt and most of the Mesopotamian pagan religions, the kings were gods or represented the gods, right? And then they, eventually they would become a God. It was called spiritual evolution. And nonetheless, Nimrod died, and then he was deified after he died. And he's deified in Babylon as Marduk, okay? But Marduk finds himself all over ancient religions and different various names. Let me talk about his wife, Simiramis. She became, obviously, to the Babylonians, a god as well, and she was called the Queen of Heaven. That should trigger something in your head. Queen of Heaven? I've heard that term before. Yeah, you have. She had a son from Nimrod, and his name was Tammuz. And the way the legend goes is that Tammuz suffered a a death. He was tore up by wild animals or whatever, but then Tammuz came back to life in the spring. And that's why every ancient pagan culture that had this kind of fertility cult of Babylonianism had this idea in the springtime there was 40 days of weeping over Tammuz, and then he would resurrect and the worship of Tammuz and worship of all these pagan gods was through human sexuality, prostitution, whatnot, but basically sexual immorality. Nonetheless, what started then coming out of the Babylonian religion was called the mother-child cult, the mother-child cult. They worshiped Semiramis, represented by the moon, and then the son Tammuz, who was brought back to life. You can see in these pictures, these ancient pictures of Babylon, and you can see the child, and you can see the mom, right? These are ancient artifacts. So no one's making this up. This is archaeology just showing you this is the kind of religion they had. Let's keep going. Look at this one. Look at the head. It's a snake. There's some more pictures of that. And then now now you transfer to Egypt. And what do we see in Egypt? Isis and Horus. Different names. But... Same thing. Let's go to the next one. This is in India. This is Devaki and Krishna. This is in, I think this is one in Japan, yes. And this is the name, Shingmu uh, and Supo. And this obviously is from the Greeks, Aphrodite and Cupid, right? And this is Rome. And in Rome, they had Venus and Jupiter. You can see Jupiter on the very bottom there. And then we see that today. It's not to pick on the Catholic Church, but do you see the theme? It's going all the way back to the Tower of Babel, and you see this Madonna child cult all in every ancient pagan religion. It's there. It's there. This mother-child cult. In the 300s A.D., the Babylonian system entered into Christianity, and it totally infected Christianity In Christianity today, there's a high amount of Babylonian religion, particularly found in the Catholic Church. You know good and well you've seen these statues of the Madonna and child. Do you know what they call Mary in the Catholic Church? The Queen of Heaven. Do you know what they called Semiramis? The Queen of Heaven. I don't think we're too off the mark of saying the Babylonian cult is alive and well today. Does it surprise you? And I want you to think about this. Let's pretend the rapture happened today. We were all taken home, and we were gone, okay? Who would lead the religious arm of Babylon today being left behind? It would be the pope. He's the most powerful. The Vatican is the most wealthy organization on the face of the planet. They have the infrastructure to control things, and he's a globalist. Does that not start piecing the puzzle a little bit? There's something going on here. He's part of the Babylonian system that worships the mother and child cult. And yet that's what they want. They want globalism. He even said it himself, that he wants it, that we need to get out of the way, America. He can't stand free marketism, free market capitalism. So I'm just saying, I'm not saying pin the tail on him as the false prophet. I'm just saying, boy, howdy, isn't it funny when you connect all these dots It seems to be showing that all roads lead there. Interesting, isn't it? But this mother-child cult has never really went away. And it it, it teaches all kinds of false doctrines that are put out by false religions. I'm going to stop right there because i got a lot more to say about this. But it should be very intriguing that eventually this thing gets repeated again and we're seeing it start repeating itself, right? We're seeing the mantra of what they're saying. Let us do this. I'll give you a preview of next week. Nimrod, and probably satanically inspired, put out a pseudo, Get follow me, a pseudo crisis. And with that pseudo crisis... He was able to unify the whole world under him. I'll let you chew on that a little bit. What pseudo crisis is there out there today that would, they're trying to unify? We gotta get together. And I promise you, if I'm the president, we are going to stamp out global warming. Pseudo crisis for unification. Greta Thunberg is their prophet, a 16 year old who doesn't know what she's talking about because someone's feeding her lines. We'll talk more about that next week. we got a lot to talk about on that one. Application. I know it's more global, but I want to bring it down to uh, ourselves. And this is what we have to understand. On a personal level, the reason these people were manipulated to come under Nimrod, follow him as a god, follow you know, his religious system, basically follow Satan, right, in this whole Tower of Babel experience, is because they had done one thing that killed them. They had abandoned God. In their whole system, they had no thought about God. They had left God. They had abandoned him. By them moving to the east, Is they did exactly what Cain did. Cain got away from God. They got away from God. He wasn't involved in their lives, and they left a spiritual vacuum in them. Okay, so follow me on this. When people jettison God from their culture, from their personal lives, they leave a spiritual vacuum. Okay? And what it creates in them is insecurity. Very scared. They live life in fear because they don't have an almighty God that can help them anymore. So they're kind of on their own. they got to do life on their own, and they got to make it work, and it's got to be them by pulling themselves up by the bootstraps and making it happen because no one else is there to help them because they've abandoned God, or at least they don't know anything of God's provision and help. And they are very afraid. They're very afraid. So somebody speaks to them, giving them a false version of security. Come, I know you're afraid, but let's build a city to protect us. We'll form a new religion that'll make you feel comfortable in how you behave. Come, let's unify, and you can erase your insecurities about life. We'll protect you. Just bow a knee to us and follow us, and we'll tell you what to do. We'll protect you. I want you to think about that on a on, on a level of our nation. Do you think it benefits the globalists to have people dependent on governments? You better believe it does. Because we'll take care of you. Don't worry about it. Nimrod will take care of you, or the state or the welfare program will take care of you. You don't need to work. Don't worry about, it. don't be afraid, we'll take care of you. It's all taken care of. Just do what we tell you to do. That's 1984, man. Or that's Orwellian. We don't want you to think. We don't want you to think about how, 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 to, how to create a job. We'll give you jobs by, you know, by the government making jobs. How well does that go? But nonetheless, you can see the mindset. You give us your money and you give us your rights, we'll take care of you. Because we know how afraid you are. And right now, our whole population, there's been books written on this, of fear our population is afraid and therefore because they're insecure about their lives they go to counterfeit security and you know what those counterfeit securities are money right power that's what our politicians do they go to power and all this stuff right and then with money and power then comes influence those are the three biggies money power and influence and they run to these for security security and money, security and power, security and influence. Those are the three big. Because somewhere in their lives they lost control because they don't have God, they don't know how God controls things. They lost control in their environment and they don't know how God works in that because they don't have they don't think about God. At some point in their life they lost their innocence. They don't know how to regain what they lost through God. They lost their childhood, they lost money, they lost their family, they lost value, they lost their protection, they lost their provision. And without God, they don't know how to get these things back. And so they go to these counterfeit that Satan offers. Satan loves a culture in fear. He loves that. He can play upon them. And because that culture will get paranoid, totally paranoid, become part of the tinfoil hat brigade, and they get scared. And when they're scared, they isolate. When they're scared, they hide. They don't come out. I want you to think about that on a personal level. You and I had things taken away from us in our lives. People, money, situations, environment, whatever it was. But God has given the tools to us to recover, so to speak, to be able to cope, be able to live in this world that keeps taking. And God's saying, I'm your security. Don't fear anything. I'm for you. I will provide for you. I'll meet your needs. Don't latch on to the counterfeits being offered to you. Right? He's saying that to us all. But unfortunately, that's too hard sometimes for us. And I get it. I've struggled through my own insecurities through life. We all have them, men and uh, women. And it's hard to give it up, to give up the life, even though we know it's wrong, of secure uh, what we built around ourselves for security, and God saying, "No, there's a new way of living. It's over here with me." It's hard to give this up. Do you remember the movie Shawshank Redemption? You remember Red? And in poor Red, he got put in jail, obviously, for murder when he was a teenager. He'd been in there for 40 years, and he, they finally let him out. Remember that scene? He finally got out, and uh, he went to work for a grocery store, and he's asking the, the boss there, can I go to the bathroom? And he goes, hey, man, you don't have to ask me to go to the bathroom. But he was so institutionalized because in prison he was told not to think. He was just told what to do. He couldn't exercise any decision-making on his own. Remember that? And someone else was basically doing the thinking for him. But the idea was he couldn't deal with the new life. Remember that? And he was struggling with this. And he was like, I think I'm just going to go do a crime so I can get put back in. He would rather be in jail than be in the new life of freedom. Remember that, that whole scene? And he says, it's a terrible thing to live in fear. But as you know, the rest of the story, he broke away and, and got to that freedom. But I, w- I want to use that analogy for a lot of us. If we don't see God as security, as our provider, as our nurturer, as everything we need from Him, you will turn to counterfeits. But in those counterfeits, you're like red. You're in your own jail cell. There's bars there, but you like the bars. I like the bars because the bars give me security. And a lot of people won't transfer over into the abundant life, into the life of faith, and leave this behind because they feel secure in the jail they have created for themselves. And no matter what you say, no matter what you do, they're not leaving the jail. Because for them, this is how they've built their lives of security. Now, you on the outside look in. You say, dude, you're locked up in your own world. You can't escape. What's wrong with you? Come on. Get out. And they're too afraid. They're too afraid because they have bought the lie of Satan. Create your own jail cell. Create your own walls. Create your own city. And you will be secure. Come, let us build a tower. And then you can have your own little religion within those walls. And you're literally stuck in your own Tower of Babel. And God is saying, if you want to experience the abundant life, if you want to experience the freedom that I have for you in Christ, you need to leave your jail. You have to break out of that, leave it behind, and come follow me. And I will be your security. I will meet all your needs. I will take care of you. The money, the fame, the power won't. It will leave you empty. Follow me because I am your only hope in this life. Let's pray. Thanks for downloading the Anchor Podcast. We hope this study was a blessing to you. Support for this podcast comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Also, check out our YouTube channel, Rock Harbor Church Prophecy Update where we focus on signs of the times and present a wide range of sermons and discipleship lessons. So until next time, keep looking up for our redemption draws near.